here goes nothing. Uh, this is the first episode of the as yet unnamed Texas Blues Alley audio podcast. Uh, it is a beautiful sunny day here in State College, Pennsylvania. I am sitting in the top floor of the newly renovated Texas Blues Alley barn. And uh, I don't know. I found myself with a few hours this afternoon after I got done putting out this week's free lesson Friday. And uh, doing this podcast is something that's been on my mind for a good while because uh, I've been a listener of several podcasts. I mean, I've been listening to podcasts probably for 10 years now. And um, I don't know. I just always kind of felt like I didn't have enough time. I wasn't sure what I would use the podcast for, but it's always been in the back of my mind. And uh, podcasting, although it it hasn't grown as fast as some people maybe think that it should have, it's still around and it is still growing. And uh, as other social gathering places have kind of become harder and harder to cut through in, um, I find myself focusing more on places that I can connect directly to my, uh, you know, anybody who cares to listen to me or ask me questions about the site or anything. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do here. Um, I haven't given this a name yet, and I don't totally know everything that I'm going to talk about, but uh, I am going to try and make it helpful, entertaining, and uh, mostly focused on the uh, community of people that come to Texas Blues Alley, watch lessons, comment, people who buy, subscribe, all that good stuff. So basically what I want to do in this one is uh, I got a section at the end for questions and answers, and I just tossed it out on Twitter few uh, moments ago, and I got a few questions to answer, but uh, there's kind of two things on my mind that I want to talk about today, and these are a little bit personal, um, but they apply to all of you out there who support what I do. First one is I want to talk about this barn. Uh, If you've been following me on Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram, you've probably seen pictures of the evolution of this place. And uh, this week was kind of the first week where I found the time to kind of move in to the upstairs part of the barn here. So the upstairs level is going to be where I do all my editing and any of the production work is going to happen up here, like um, computer-related stuff. And uh, it's been done for a little while. I got the electric done a few weeks ago. Uh, but this week, I finally took some time on Monday, and uh, I brought up a desk. I had a leftover editing desk from one of my previous offices. I set that upstairs. I carried all my gear to the top level, and... Uh, Got it all cleaned out, did all the stuff, you know, you got to do after a construction job is done. And then uh, I got it set up. And once I got all of the cleaning stuff out of here, I just kind of sat down to work. And uh, I'm not, I don't know, I wouldn't say it was a magical experience, but it's as close to a magical experience as I've ever had in the nine years that I've been doing this. Um. It's kind of hard to describe. It was surreal because this is the first kind of professional, really nice working space that I've had in all the nine years that I've been doing this. And uh, the way I started was in a little 12 by 12 room in the basement of our little ranch house that we owned uh, for 12 years. And uh, it was a basement room with a tiny, tiny window up near the top. There was no no sunlight or anything. It was cramped. And, uh, I worked out of that for four years and, uh, I was just happy to have anywhere to do what I did. And, uh, 
then it became possible for me to have an office in town. And so I got real lucky and I found a 450 square foot office that overlooked kind of the main street in state college. And, uh, you know, I had to record through a isolation cabinet for a couple of years and that seemed surreal, you know, but it was still, uh, an old office that other people had used, you know, it's not something that I would have felt like I could invite, you know, somebody who's been around and seen things would not have been impressed with that room. It wasn't a studio per se. And then a few years after that, I was lucky enough to find, uh, a little building, self-contained building in town that was actually a carriage house. It was like, uh, exactly what it sounds like back in the days of horse and carriages, this would have been the garage. And it was a tiny little uh, 500 square foot house, two floors, and I rented the whole thing for my studio. And uh, it was certainly nice. It was the nicest recording space I'd ever had, but it was very much like a house that had been converted to an office building. It didn't look like a studio. It wasn't nice and neat and professional like a studio. But again, it was the best thing that I had ever had for doing what I did, and it was kind of surreal at that time. But then somewhere... During the first year of 2014, started having um, some dreams about the future of what I could do with Texas Blues Alley and the role that live music or music with a full band, starting to dream about the role that that would play or could play in what I do here. And uh, some of the ideas that I had made me realize that I needed a much different kind of building. I needed something with a stage, something that I could wire up for live streaming and uh, professional recording of full bands. And um, it was about six months later that my wife and I found the house that we now live in. And it's a nice 20-acre um, plot of land up here on the side of a mountain. And uh, it had this 25-foot by 30-foot barn on the property that was in crazy good condition considering it had never really been taken care of and it had three floors so that's like almost 20 like 2100 square feet of usable space but none of it was like really finished and so we moved in last april and um you know sometimes you have an idea in your mind you know what the end result is going to is going to be like but you don't know how soon it's going to happen and uh so all of last summer i was just trying to get the basement into something that felt comfortable to work in and so i did a bunch of work down there and um you know it's been great i mean it's the biggest space i've ever had to record and isn't the basement wasn't quite as nice as that as the carriage house i was renting but it was still you know i can't complain it was it was it was great having 700 square feet to work inside of. Uh, but I just couldn't shake the fact that I, I really wanted to get going on the upstairs part of the barn. So basically, I found myself this winter with a, a conundrum of sorts. And that was, how am I going to get the renovations on this barn done? And uh, I don't know if I thought I was going to do it myself I don't know if I thought I could afford to pay someone, but uh, man, sometimes you just meet the right person at the right time. And I found a guy who is a fantastic carpenter who, uh, you know, really worked with me on price and I was able to throw him a ton of work and he just knocked it out of the park with this place. And it's like, I would come 
every day down here and look at what they were doing. And it was just starting to take form in front of my eyes. And I just, I don't know. I just got this weird feeling like I can't believe this is actually happening right now. And so I've still been working out of the basement while all this has been going on since March. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's done with the carpentry. He's got the electric stuff in and I, you know, I hooked up all the electric cause that's something that I've been doing for a long time and then it's ready. And even still like, I don't know. It's like I wasn't as excited as I thought I would be considering how long I've waited for something like this. But then I don't know. I move all my stuff up here and I start working and I'm like overcome with a sense of gratitude first. Uh, and then, I don't know. It's like when you get, when you get into your, I don't know if I qualify for middle age yet. I'm going to turn 40 this year, but your emotions become more complicated. And so as I sat up here in this barn that first day to work, uh, I was overcome with one of those complicated grown up emotional (laughs) feelings where it was kind of scary because this is happening and I didn't expect it to happen so soon. And then, uh, obviously gratitude for all the people who, who've made this possible, but also a real sense of, um, not obligation, but a determination that, um, I'm going to leverage what has been made possible through this building for as much as humanly possible. Um, I don't know. I call it a sense of calling or whatever you want to call it, but, uh, just a real kind of seriousness about the whole thing. Um, and I just love it here. I love working here. I find myself all the time when I'm up at the house, got to go up there still to go to the bathroom and to get something to eat. Cause I don't have like a kitchen or a bathroom down here yet. Um, but I just can't wait to come back to this place to work. And, um, I don't know. I've never felt this way about any place I've had to work in all nine years that I've been doing this. So, Got more work to do in the main place where the stage is at. I'll talk about that more as that gets closer to being a reality. Uh, but for now, I've got the upstairs ready to work. That's where I'm recording right now. And I'll put some pictures in on this post's uh, page on the site. And so, I don't know. That's really personal. And that is uh, maybe not interesting to all of you. But uh, this business is extremely personal to me. And to be able to sit here in such a crazy awesome working space is just humbling. I mean, I can't even express how it feels. Uh, and that takes me to the kind of second thing that I want to talk about this time. And that is the, the whole community of people that have made this possible. Um, and so, and part of the reason I want to do this podcast is it, it, it just talking gives me a way to express things that don't really fit into the kind of videos that I put out. So it's like when I put stuff on YouTube, I've learned, over the past nine years that if it's not going to be a lesson or a gear video or something like that, the YouTube crowd just isn't going to care. And, um, I don't want to teach people to tune me out on YouTube. So I tend to not want to put anything up there that isn't within the scope of what they're expecting. Uh, and so what I'm recording here, I, I feel like would go over like a lead balloon, uh, on YouTube, 
and I don't really have any other mechanism for doing it. Um, and so that's kind of what this, why I like having, uh, starting to do this podcast here. Cause there's some thoughts that I have about, uh, the whole community of people that have made what I do possible and, uh, talking about it will allow me to communicate it better than just writing it down. So along with all those weird, complicated grown up feelings I was having sitting in this st- studio for the first time working, I had to go back and I just had to think about how insane it is that this entire thing is made possible by just random strangers all over the world. Like, how crazy is that? I I was talking about this with somebody the other day and trying to explain to them what my job is. And um, people who are just or who are fans or customers who are looking at it from the student coming to the site for education or entertainment or whatever, they usually assume that Texas Blues Alley is like much higher profile than it actually is. I had people one time that were asking me if I was going to be hanging out with Kenny Wayne Shepard when I was going to one of his shows. And uh, and how to explain to him like that, he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> When I go to somebody's show, I'm just a fan like everybody else. Um, But then people who are in the music business who have made, you know, their way into this business and been successful, they usually think that Texas Blues Alley is more of a hobby than it is a business because they can't comprehend how a guy could do what I do for a living. And uh, there are other people who are more, I guess uh, progressive minded who who understand how you know the mechanics of how this can work, um, but it's just funny to have people you know not understand where you're situated. And the fact is is that profile wise, I still think uh, Texas Blues Alley is what you would consider a very small niche niche niche. I'm not sure how to pronounce that site that caters to a very specific audience, um, but it has been my full time job since 2009. And not only has it been my full-time job, but it's made it possible for me to build what I believe is going to be one of the most professional production capability facilities for what I want to do in this whole region here. Uh, it's not all done yet, and there's still lots of money to be spent and lots of money to be that needs to be made to make that happen. Uh, but the fact is it's being built without debt, you know, and uh, that's a pretty remarkable thing. And as I sat here working that day, I was just overcome with that sense that this building kind of belongs to all of those people who, um, who made it possible. And it, you know, not even just people who buy things, but like it totally matters when people view things on a regular basis on YouTube, you know, it totally matters when they like things, when they comment, because, uh, since I came out of nowhere as um, you know somebody without any kind of career to speak of musically, s- to some extent, the amount that I grow has some relation to what people in this industry think of me and think of what I've done. And uh, because there's no, because I don't have any pedigree or um, anybody who's backing me, like I don't have investments from any kind of major brands or anything like that. The only thing they have to go on is so-called social proof. Like they have to look at what does what does the crowd for Texas Blues Alley look like? 
And unfortunately, for some people, all that matters is numbers. And so when they go to YouTube and see, I don't know what it is now, 120,000 subscribers or whatever, like for some people, that's the only thing that gets their attention. And so um, as much as a lot of what I've talked about so far in this episode with the barn and everything depends on you know cold, hard cash and people buying lessons and subscribing, there is a very direct value uh, in people who just simply watch and interact and stay tuned because that is a kind of social currency when I go to, I don't know, like if I have an idea for something I want to do with the business, it becomes a lot easier to get people's attention if you can point to a crowd of people who are actively engaged. And um, I'm not a marketing guy. I don't know any know much about advertising. I don't really do any advertising aside from putting out free lessons. Uh, on a somewhat regular basis. And so without you guys, without the audience of people who support it, like I don't have a site. I don't have a career. I don't have this barn. I don't have half the equipment that I have. uh, And I don't have all of these courses that I've had the opportunity to make. And that's a big freaking deal to me. Because having those courses kind of trapped up in your brain and not having yet been caught and put into material form, that's like torture for somebody who loves to teach. And so when this site started uh, gaining traction, but it was still kind of a hobby, the hardest thing for me was fearing that I'm not going to live long enough to be able to teach everything that I want to teach. And so just to have had the opportunity to get some of these ideas out of my head and into course form is like the most unbelievable blessing. Um, I don't really know how else to explain it, but uh, the community of people that have supported me mean everything. I mean, they're responsible for everything that I have here. And uh, one of the hardest things for me to get adjusted to as the site has grown was the um, kind of the phenomenon of people uh, assuming things about you based on what they perceive you doing. And you've got the people who never want to see you change anything, uh, the people who are always hoping you'll do something else, but then you get the people who who feel like um, you know, you've know you kind of outgrown your britches, as they say here in the U.S. You're too big for your own britches, or you're getting a big head. And um, part of the reason I'm starting this podcast is because when people only see a certain side of you, they kind of fill in the details with their imagination. And I want to be able to use this podcast to communicate to people kind of what's going on in my head, what I'm thinking about Texas Blues Alley, because I feel like if I had done this all along, it might have saved me some um, misunderstandings with people in the past. And uh, in in regards to the TXBA community, the main thing that I just want people to know is that at this point with all that has happened and everything I've talked about with the barn, the overwhelming sense that I have is just a sense of responsibility and determination to be a good steward of everything that I have been put in a position to to work with here. And um, I don't want to look back in five years or ten years and feel like, man, you had all that to work with and look at what little you did with it. Like, no, I want to knock it out of the park. I feel like I've done very good in terms of leveraging what I've had all along to put stuff out. And I don't want to stop that now. I want to, you know, I don't think it's fair that I get to work in this building. I don't think that I've earned it, you know, because I'm not really about 
I don't always think that what you get in life is fair or what you earn. I think sometimes things just are what they are. And your job is to make the most of whatever you end up with. And, uh, you know, so even though I can't rationalize or justify why I get to sit here in this barn and work, I do intend to do the best job anybody could possibly do with it. And um, that's kind of where my head is with all of this as I get ready to plan kind of the next chapter of Texas Blues Alley. So anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, Not all the episodes are going to be me rambling like this. I probably have a little bit of pent-up things to address. Um, But yeah, I hope that's useful to somebody. I'm just going to answer a few questions here now. So I had a few people ask me questions on Twitter here. Well, actually, just one. So we'll keep this short. Uh, Nick Beatty on Twitter, who goes by the great handle Bum Laser. <laughs> oh, Nick is hilarious. He uh, apparently is on the Twitter all the time. And so I tossed out to, you know, if anybody's got any questions, let me know and I'll try to answer them. He says, if you could go out tonight and see an In Their Prime show by one pre-60s blues guitarist, who would it be and why? So if you could go out and see one blues guitarist pre-1960 in their prime, who would you see? And um, that's a little bit hard for me to answer because most of the guys that I listened to were active, you know, 60s and beyond. Um, but I looked up a few and I had to double check like their birth dates and when they were acting and everything, but I can't just pick one. I got to pick three and that would be a uh, magic Sam hound dog Taylor and uh, guitar slim and different reasons for each of them for guitar slim and magic Sam. Uh, the reason I'm fascinated by those guys is because I'm fascinated by the evolution of technical skill and guitar playing. Um, it's kind of an elementary thing to be interested in, but I'm fascinated by people who seemed to have more technical skill than the period that they lived in would have suggested, if that makes any sense. So like um, I've mentioned a couple times before different places that one of the things that separates Freddie King from B.B. King and Albert King was his technical skill. B.B. was quick, but he didn't do like really fast stuff. Uh, Albert King was powerful. And at times was quick, but he didn't really do fast stuff either. And Freddie King was was fast and powerful and and quick, and he just had you know a little bit more of a, a handle on some of the technical things than some of the guys in his era. And uh, so I look back at Magic Sam and Guitar Slim, and I can see hints of things to come in guitarists of later generations. And I haven't listened to them a lot, but I know that when I heard each of those for the first time, that was one of my impressions. And then as for Hound Dog Taylor, I don't know. He just has a real raucous sound. And um, beyond uh, the kind of playing that somebody does, whether it's slide or regular, I'm fascinated by the amount of energy that a guitarist brings to the music. And... uh, I mean, I can watch a Hound Dog Taylor video from however many years ago, and he's just got that thing, whatever it is, that really lively house rocking sound, and I really dig that. So I would have enjoyed seeing any any one of those three guys in concert. Uh, so that's the only question I have uh, for this week. So basically, if you are interested in participating in this podcast, 
You can shoot me a question either by email, anthony at texasbluesalley.com. Just put a podcast question in the subject line. Or uh, throw me a question on Twitter, at uh, texasbluesalley is my handle. Um, I probably don't bother on Facebook because Facebook is turning into a little bit of a graveyard. Um, but yeah, any of those places or just leave a comment on this episode page. I don't even have a URL yet for uh, where you can go to get these episodes. I'm assuming it's just going to be texasbluesalley.com slash podcast. Um, <laughs> but if it's not that, I'll, I'll redirect that that address to somewhere else. And uh, until I figure out a more concrete direction for the podcast, just ask questions, anything about the business, about guitar, about music. And uh, I'll be glad to answer. Of course, if it's guitar stuff, it has to be stuff I can talk about, not necessarily uh, demonstrate because it's going to be audio only. Trying to keep the workflow simple. And uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see where it goes. And uh, I appreciate your support. (laughs) 